Hey, Tyler Shields here, pastor of Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person that God desires you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more about how to connect, grow, and go. And now, today's message. We've been going through the Bible since the beginning of the year. have been reading through it together as a church every day. Or at least I hope you're sticking to your reading plan. And if you need one of those, we've still got some of those in the back. And you can jump right in and, and take off right where we're at. But last week, we looked at uh, Exodus chapter 12, which is probably, to me, one of the most important chapters and sections of the Bible, at least in the Old Testament. And if you remember, it was the story of the Passover, and God uh, finally going through all the plagues, and he, he got to the last one, and he said, this one's a little different, and I need you to do some things. I need you to kill a lamb and put the blood across the door, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and, and essentially save you from Egypt by the blood of the lamb. How many are thankful for the blood of the lamb today? Amen. The only hope that those people had that fateful night in Egypt so many years ago was the blood of the lamb. And the only hope that men and women have today is, guess what? The blood of the lamb. And so from there, the story goes on. And of course, like God said, Pharaoh and the Egyptians let the Israelites go. And on their way out, they plundered the Egyptians and took a bunch of their stuff, like God said they would be able to do. Pretty good deal. And so they make their way out of Egypt. And they're approaching the Red Sea, and God stops them and says, hold up just a minute. <laughs> it's kind of a scary thing. God says, I'm going to allow Pharaoh to catch up with you, and uh, he's going to almost catch you, but I'm going to do something really awesome. And we know the story of how God parted the Red Sea, let his people cross over the sea or through the sea on dry ground, and he, he drowned the same Egyptians that had been oppressing them for all these 400 years in the same water he just took his people across. And so they're making their way through the desert, through the wilderness, out of Egypt, toward Mount Sinai. Because in Exodus chapter 3, God told Moses what? He said, this will be the sign that I'm with you. When you bring my people out of Egypt, you will worship me at this mountain. And so Moses is heading back, back towards God's mountain. And they finally get to the mountain. But along the way, between the Red Sea and getting to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, they have a few problems. They get hungry. They get thirsty. Some people try to fight them. And, and, and every step of the way, God intervenes and, and provides for his people and cares for them. However, can you believe that people still complained, still grumbled, and said, you know what, Moses, why don't we just go back to Egypt where we can have a nice place to sleep and good food to eat? After being a slave, they wanted to go back to this place. After all the wonderful things they'd seen God do, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Thank God we don't do that today. But I think it's human nature. Our human nature says we would prefer slavery over freedom. Why? I know it sounds crazy, but we prefer the security that it provides, the stability that it provides. Our human nature says we would prefer sin over God's righteousness for the temporary pleasures that it provides. We would prefer the law 
over God's grace because it puts the ball back in our hands and says, if you work hard enough, you'll be good. That all that's a bunch of baloney. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, as we've sang about, God's grace. And we've heard stories already about what God's grace can do. Because this week, as you read through your reading, uh, you're going to start in Exodus 19. That's where we're at today in the message. And you're going to be reading about the, the introduction of the law. God's going to give all of these rules and all these regulations, and it's God's holy standards. And you're going to read how the people, they're, they're not shocked by this. They want the law. They want to have all the rules and be told exactly what to do and exactly what not to do. They prefer that over God's gracious leading as he's done so far. And so after journeying for a pretty good while, they finally arrive at the mountain of God. And here they are, and this begins the next big saga in the story of God's people. And over the next several chapters, really over the next few books, you're going to read God's law. The standards by which you have to live up to if you are going to be a perfect person. And so let's begin in Exodus 19. Exodus 19 says, In the third month, from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. <coughs> they traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. And Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you're to say to the Israelites. And after Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And then all the people responded together, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. And so Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. And so before we get into trying to live up to the law and trying to live up to all of these rules, let's look at what God did first. Before he ever gets to that, what does he do? He reminds the people what he's done for them so far. The very first thing he says, he said, I carried you on eagle's wings. This is one of the few times, one of the rare times in the Bible where God kind of speaks of himself poetically. He's usually pretty straightforward. But he says, like, a, like an eagle, I carried my people, you, on my wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, in this verse, the eagle gives us a picture of God's grace and God's care for his people. When we think of an eagle, when we read this, we automatically think of the big American bald eagle, right? Apparently, we got a few around here. That's not what God's talking about. It was an eagle, but they don't have these in the Middle East. But he's still talking about the same type of bird, this big, giant bird of prey. And I want to just give you the full picture of what God's talking about here. So when the eagle cares for its young, the, the eggs hatch, 
Typically, the mother stays there with the youngs, and the father eagle, Daddy Eagle, goes out. He finds some food, brings it back, and he gives it to Mama Eagle. Mama Eagle chews it up or whatever she does and gets it down to the size that the baby birds can eat it, and she cares for and feeds the babies. Now, this is crazy. For approximately 40 days, she sits in the nest with the baby eagles. And when they're ready, when they're big enough, she'll leave the nest and she'll perch maybe on a tree branch or a rock nearby and she'll just kind of watch over them after 40 days. And you can imagine while she's watching them, maybe, maybe them eagles will start moving around. Maybe one of them will fall out of the nest. Maybe one of them will try to fly. And guess what happens? Mama eagle, because she's watching, swoops down and literally catches the baby on her back and takes it back up and Maybe she lets him fall again, or maybe she puts him back in the nest. Likewise, if the babies don't try to fly or they don't fall out, she'll go into the nest, and she'll kind of stir the nest up, and she might push one out, make him try to fly. And when that happens, she may let him fall for a good while, especially if they're up on one of these rocky cliffs. He may fall 100, 150, 200 feet. Talk about scary. But then at the last minute, Mama swoops back in. Catches the baby on her, on her back. Let them rest. May wait 15 minutes, and guess what? Here you go again. <laughs> Other birds of prey carry their young between their feet because they're afraid that if they keep their young on their back, other bigger birds will come down and steal their babies. The eagle knows that there's no other bird that can fly higher or stronger than it. And so it keeps its babies on its wings. And so what God is, is saying here, he's painting an image for us, essentially saying there's no one greater than your God, Moses. Just like this eagle, there's no greater parent, there's no greater protector, there's no greater love or no greater grace than God's grace. There's no one that's going to be able to come down and snatch away my people from me. Jesus said... In, uh, he said, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And so God is reminding these people that just like the eagle and her young, he, he says, guys, I've, I've cared for you. I've literally carried you out of the land of Egypt. I heard your cries when you were in slavery and in bondage in Egypt when you were just really pitiful. You were hopeless. You were helpless. But I, I looked at you, and out of all the peoples in the, earth, in, in the whole world, because remember, the earth is mine, but I chose you. I chose you to be my people, and I redeemed you out of that place through the blood of the Lamb. I carried you out of that land. I away from those people, away from all of their false gods. I parted the sea and brought you across on dry land, drowned all your oppressors in the same water. When you got hungry, I gave you manna and quail to eat. When you got thirsty, I made the bitter waters of Mara uh, drinkable. I actually brought forth living waters out of the rock in the desert. When Amalek attacked you, I literally fought for you and gave you victory. And like the eagle shelters her young for 40 days, Moses, I'm going to go with you all for the next 40 years through this wilderness until you enter the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And here's the thing. It ain't because you all deserve it. 
It's not because you're going to earn it. If God were to speak bluntly here, he'd say, Moses, here shortly, y'all are really just going to blow it. It's because of my grace and my love for you that I'm doing this. And so later, this is pretty awesome. At the end of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Moses would come back towards the end of his life, and he would remember this conversation with God. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses would write, But the Lord's portion is his people. God loves people, y'all. Jacob, his own inheritance. He found him in a desolate land, in a barren, howling wilderness. And he surrounded him, cared for him, and protected him as the pupil or as the apple of his eye. He watches over his nest like an eagle and hovers over his young. And he spreads his wing and he catches him and carries him on his feathers. The Lord alone led him, and there was no help from a foreign God. You see, sometimes we need to go back and look at all the things God's done for us and remember how God has provided for us. When we were desperate, when we were, as, as Moses said, in a desolate land, a barren, howling wilderness, how many has been there in life before? And God looked at you and he heard your cries just like he heard the cries of the Israelites when they were in slavery and bondage in Egypt. And that in spite of all of our many failures and our many mistakes that we made through life, God provided a way out. And like he gave them a way out through the blood of the Lamb, he gives us a way out through the blood of the Lamb today. And his grace works in such a way that when we fall... God doesn't just let us plunge to our death like the mighty eagle. He swoops down and catches us and lifts us back up on the wings of eagles. Isn't that awesome? And all this time, when God went to his people there in Egypt, he's been leading them by his grace. They've not had to do anything. They've not had to earn anything. God just picked them, said, I want to help you out. I'm going to do some amazing, miraculous things for you. And it's all in grace. And they're following him in faith. Think about the faith. <laughs> Standing before the Red Sea with Pharaoh at your back. And the faith it took to walk on a cross while there's big walls of water all around you. Same's true for us today, but now in this story, God's going to give people his law. And we've got to talk about this for just a minute. Because the people's attitude, notice what they said. They said, hey, we'll do it. We'll live up to it. <clears throat> Verse 5 and 6, Remember, look at what God tells them. He says, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you'll be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my kingdom of of priests, a nation of priests, my holy nation. These are the words you're saying to the Israelites. So God, got to look at this. God wanted and expected the entire nation to be a kingdom of priests. The only problem is the people weren't up for that. They want the law, and they want the rules they can obey. They want the things that they can do, the works that they can do and, and live up to. But the problem with that is, is they can't do it. They're eager for it. They're all about it. God, give us, give us ten rules we can follow. And we'll do it. Nope. They can't obey it. 
They can't earn God's righteousness by being good enough, by works. So God gives them the law, and essentially, when you read through this week, you'll see they pretty much immediately break it. Moses comes down, and he just wants to pull his hair out. You'll read about that later. But what you'll see is because of this, instead of the whole nation becoming a kingdom of priests, there's only one tribe, the tribe of Levi, that will step forward and live up to the task. Now, as you read over this week and the following weeks, and you read over all these different rules, and it's really one of the driest parts of the Bible, but remember how we can make it a little better? Find Christ in this. He is all in God's law. You look for him, and it'll, it'll speak to you in a whole different way. But you read through all these laws. You read about the regulations for the tabernacle and all these different things and how people are supposed to live in these different situations, and you tally it all up, and there's, there's 613 different laws that you've got to follow to a T. There's no given. You do it or you don't. When you break one, you might as well break it all. You've got to live up to it perfectly your entire life. That's virtually impossible. I like to think I'm a pretty good guy most days. But I'll tell you what. When I read God's law, when I put it in my face and look at it like a mirror, I am pretty pathetic. And guess what? You are too. Ain't that a good message? <laughs> really, really pumping you up this morning. But here's the, here's the question. Here's what I'm getting. I say all that to get to this point. If God got all these rules and it's so hard to live up to, why would he give it to us in the first place? Well, just like God gave us a picture of an eagle, God is painting a very clear picture by giving us the law. And what happens is you, you look at the law and really what it's saying and the message we get out of it, one, God is displaying his holy character. If you're going to be with me, you're going to be holy. And you've got to do all this to get there. And then the other part of that is it displays our sinful character. Paul, the apostle, asked the same questions in Galatians chapter 3. He said, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. So Paul's saying the law was given until the seed would come. Now, we've talked about the seed a few weeks ago, didn't we? When we Actually, the first sermon of this year, Genesis chapter 3, we talked about God, uh, man's sin. God punished the devil, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the seed of the woman, and you will bruise his heel. But what? The seed will crush your head. So until that time, from this point in Exodus until the coming of Christ, the law was given, and Paul goes on to say, to act as a guardian, as some translations say, as a schoolmaster for us. And we don't really have this role in our society, but the Greek word there for schoolmaster or for guardian is basically a slave or a servant in Greek or Roman society that lived in your house. You trusted them so much that they took care of one of your children. Now, I'm not talking about just babysitting. I mean, they did everything for them. They clothed them. They cleaned them. They wiped their little snotty nose. They took care of your child. Your child could not leave the house without this guardian until they were an adult. And so 
Eventually, when your child was old enough to go to school, the guardian or the schoolmaster, whatever you want to call it, would take the little Johnny, greet Johnny by the hand, and he'd drag him to school to the teacher where he could learn and be taught. And that was the extent of the role of the guardian. The guardian could maybe help tutor, could take care of, could point them in the right direction, but the guardian wasn't the teacher. Their role was to get them to the teacher. And like the guardian led the child to school, the law leads us to the teacher, to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it teaches us. That's why it's there, to teach us that we are poor, pitiful sinners who desperately need a Savior. Because that's where the law would stop. It would point you in the right direction, but it could not save you. No one has ever been saved by living up to one of these laws. Paul goes on to say in verse 24, chapter 3, he said, Therefore the law was our guardian, our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by works. Huh? By faith. Saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by the law. The law points us in the right direction. We're saved by God's grace, grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the difference between the law and grace. Old J. Vernon McGee put it this way. He said, law demands, but grace offers. The law says do, but grace says believe. Law, it takes but grace gives freely. The law says work, but grace says rest. Jesus said, come unto me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. The law threatens pronouncing a curse, but grace pleads pronouncing a blessing. The law says do better and you will live. Grace says live and you will do better. The law condemns the very best man, but grace saves even the worst man. How about that? Amen? I thank God, I thank God that we're not saved by the law because if we were, I'd be in a heap of trouble. I sure wouldn't be a preacher. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. But Paul said the law creates death in me. But thank God the law does its role of pointing us to our need for Jesus Christ. And it tells us that, that there's no other hope. You'll never be good enough, man. You'll never be able to get rid of all the garbage in your life and be good enough to deserve salvation from God. You can stop every bad thing you're doing today and for the rest of your life be the best person that's ever walked on the face of this earth and you'll never atone for even one sin in your life. But grace says, I'm going to take that filthy, rotten sinner just like they are because my son has died for them on the cross and I'm going to save them and change their life not from the outside in but from the inside out. And only God's grace can do that. So this morning, you can go through there and read all them 613 rules if you want to, but I can sum it up for you real quick. Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So I think that's pretty much all of us. Now, if that's you and you've not been saved, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? God's grace, His hand of grace is extended to you this morning. And all you got to do is come and accept His free gift. You ain't got to try and earn it. You ain't got to go get everything cleaned up, like I said. You just come this morning in faith, 
Faith in the blood of the Lamb that we talked about last week. And you will be saved. Stand together, let me pray for you. Father, many times we try to make salvation so difficult. We think we can't earn it, we can't be good enough, that we can't be saved. <laughs> and that's partly true. We can't be good enough. But God, your grace says <clears throat> that while we were still sinners, not when we got cleaned up, not when we got in church for long enough, not anything. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God, this morning, I know there's somebody here that they need grace. They don't need more rules. They don't need some preacher beating them over the head with the Bible. They need the grace of God in their life today. And God, I know that you're offering salvation freely. And God, I just pray that somebody would accept it. And God, maybe there's Christians here that's been trying to live up to the laws. We'll talk about tonight, God. We've been trying to put that yoke of bondage back on us. And God, let us, let us just enjoy the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And use that freedom like these kids have shown us to go out and be an extension of your grace to other people that desperately need it. God, thank you for saving me. I love you. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. And remember, the greatest decision that you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and begin a personal relationship with Him. Again, thanks for listening. God bless.